Batteries are everywhere, and they're powering not only our cell phones, but laptop, watches, and of course, our electric vehicles. I find the battery development space so intriguing. We hear about all this new development going on, and yet we're still relying on the lithium-ion battery, which first commercially launched in 1991. It truly isn't suited for electric vehicles. For one, it's heavy, expensive, depends on limited resource materials, and can have safety issues. Developing new lower-priced and high-performing batteries to power our electric vehicles is crucial to making electric vehicles more affordable and accessible. I'm Kristen Salinina, Chief Innovation Officer of Park My Fleet and today's host of the Driving Mobility Podcast. Joining me today to discuss his work in battery development, where he sees the future of batteries heading, is Professor Sadaway, Professor Emeritus of Materials Chemistry at MIT, who's involved in several groundbreaking startups in the battery space. As Professor Sadaway puts it, he's a firm believer in science and service of society. Welcome, Professor Sadaway. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. I'm really eager to dive in right now. So Professor Sadaway, how would you characterize the battery issue of today and those opportunities that are available in this space? Well, I think, uh batteries are everywhere. We have them in mobile devices, whether it's the phones, the laptops, the watch, the smart watch, everything. It's powered remotely and that means uh, portable power. But uh, as we undergo the green transition and we want to move to renewables, whether it's wind or, or solar, uh, these are uh, intermittent and uh, nobody wants uh, green power only part of the time. They want right. power uninterruptible. And so that's where the battery comes in. So that it's it's never been a greater moment to, to be an electrochemist who knows something about batteries. I'd like to jump ahead a bit. When I heard you speak at the Energy Conference in November in Puerto Rico, I loved how you shared about the challenges that you gave your students to encourage them to think differently about battery diversification. Can you please explain that a bit further? I, I've said that there are two paths in uh, in science, there are uh, you know, there's research that's uh, in service of career building, and that's what most of the university research is. It's just getting you to the next manuscript, and then there's uh, research in service of society. And I, I'm a firm believer in science and service of society. I try to impart that to the students to think about whether it's a, a viable, a socially viable. That means it has to work, it has to be better than legacy and it has to be economically viable. Nobody wants a fantastic battery that costs so much that the price performance ratio makes it worse than what we have today. And that's part of the, exactly. the issue with the electric vehicle. It, you know, the price performance ratio is, is poor. I also really enjoyed the story you shared about putting that pile of dirt in front of your students on the lab table to teach them to think differently about how you source materials and about localization. So tell us more about that as well. So the dirt on the table is uh, an anecdote that had to do with the, the realization that supply chain is, is, a, is an important factor as well. And so I, I've always uh, said if you want to make something dirt cheap, make it out of dirt. 
and preferably dirt that's locally sourced. That exactly right. <laughs> local dirt. And so the, the, the ultimate uh, in local dirt is is one's own backyard. So take a shovel full of dirt from the backyard and put it on the lab bench in front of the students and say, um, "This is your this is your uh, source. You you must." make a battery out of something that is in this pile of dirt. Otherwise, it's not going to scale or it's going to be unreliable with the, you know, it just takes a butterfly to flutter its wings and next thing you know, we're, we're waiting on some key ingredient. So that's, right. that's the, the shovel full of dirt. So we were talking a little bit more about the battery diversification and, and the issues, as you say, that price performance with electrification and getting there. So. Where do you see those opportunities coming in this next five to ten years to really solve that equation, the price performance ratio? Well, I'd go back to the two main zones here. One is in um, portable power, and the the other is in stationary. And I think that there's still plenty of room for innovation in both. And uh, in in stationary, we have a variety of uh, efforts in um, everything from flow batteries, metal air batteries. Regrettably, some people are insistent on using lithium ion batteries for these installations of hundreds of megawatt hours, which I think is risky business because of the safety issues. Of course, I've, I'm a proponent of liquid metal battery. And then more recently, I've uh, been commercializing the aluminum sulfur battery for, for um, small-scale stationary storage, the kind of the capacity you'd need for a single-family home, sort of tens oh, of kilowatt fantastic. hours, 100 kilowatt hours, not yeah. megawatt hours. And, and so there's, there's room for uh, improvement there. And on the, the portable power, you realize that uh, the lithium-ion battery has already had its 30th birthday. So mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're doubling down on a 30-year-old technology. If I told you I want you to buy a 30-year-old car, you'd say, no, I don't think so. But exactly. It's already outdated. Buy, you're going to buy tomorrow's car with a 30-year-old yes. battery chemistry in it. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I mean, the, the fantastic improvements in the pricing uh, on lithium-ion are the result of the gigantic improvements in manufacturing. I mean, people have really done a marvelous job in manufacturing those batteries. But you can't escape the fact that you've got constrained resources, both, you know, Lithium itself, you look at in the, uh, in the, in the cathode, you've got nickel, manganese, cobalt, and then even in the, in the anode, it's all graphite. Like it's, the, it's the heaviest component of the lithium-ion battery, and mm -hmm. that's, that's a constrained resource as well. So is, is it time to invent beyond that? Oh, yeah. As an MIT alum, I'm especially curious. So how did your path lead you? to become a professor at MIT today? So when I was in high school, I, uh, I enjoyed all of the subjects, um, but uh, chemistry was something that uh, caught my attention more so than the others. And then I went to the University of Toronto and uh, I, uh, I majored in um, material science. So I moved into metallurgy, which is essentially inorganic, applied inorganic chemistry. And then uh, after a PhD, I came to MIT, uh, continued to work in uh, metallurgy, but I was particularly drawn to electrometallurgy, aluminum, magnesium, and things like that. Around mid-90s, I branched out 
beyond the electrometallurgy and started looking at batteries. And then that led to liquid metal battery, uh, molten oxide electrolysis, and all that other stuff. I'm curious. I have kind of two parts to this question. One, did you ever imagine that you would start companies? And tell us a little bit more about these companies that you are that are involved in and created. The answer to the second part of your question is uh, no. Uh, in fact, I was um, opposed to getting involved with any kind of companies because I was uh, I was a really dutiful professor. I I valued my teaching. Um, on a par with the research and you might even say I valued my teaching higher than the research because I felt that shaping young minds was 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 very important and so when uh, the invention of the liquid metal battery occurred um, two of my students came to me and said I think it's time we started a company and I said I don't really want to get involved in that I, I think it was <laughs> corrupting and and so on and so forth, it's all this money, it's dirty, and so on. And they said, Sadaway, you talk about science and service of society. It, this, this battery is never going to serve society if it doesn't get off the lab bench. You there have to go through commercialization. I said, you've got a point. Okay. So I was dragged into startup <laughs> land by my students. That's a fabulous story, that they're using your own words kind of against you to catalyze yeah. you into creating this business. And then practice what you preach. And practice. So that was the liquid metal battery company, which we rebranded as Ambry. There have been um, other battery companies. More recently, uh, I invented uh, aluminum sulfur at MIT in the 2000 teens. Uh, I, with some of my students, spun out a company which I called Avanti because I'd driven the Avanti automobile, and oh, I loved yeah. that car. But someday nice. I'm going to name a company Avanti. In fact, <laughs> I wanted to name Ambry Avanti, but my CEO said, no, you can't, because there's a, there's a hairdressing salon on Newbury's <laughs> called Avanti. And I said, no one's going to mistake a liquid metal battery company right. for a hair salon. But he said, no, we're not going with Avanti. So we, we went with Ambry. But now, uh, I had a fresh chance, and so I named uh, this company Avanti. And then the, where I'm sitting right now is Pure Lithium. And this was started with Michigander. Uh, oh, really? Emily nice. Baldwin. And uh, she had done some work at Argonne Labs on uh, trying to extract lithium with a ceramic membrane and came to me when I was on sabbatical and said, would you join forces with me and we'll start a company? And I said, that thing's never going to scale with a ceramic membrane, so I, I introduced the polymer, and uh, so on. That, that was sort of the genesis of, of, of pure lithium. And so it's it's on the path to commercialize a, uh, a lithium metal battery. And what makes it different from all of the others is that uh, it's vertically integrated. This company has the capacity to extract lithium from brine, and at the same in the same operation, deposit lithium on the copper substrate so it can make the lithium metal anode. That is fascinating. Starting from brine. So we talked a little bit about kind of the pain points and the big obstacle right now in batteries. How are we going to improve this? Because for me it's like, okay, if we're going to get more sustainable transportation for the masses, you know, we're going to need to make headway on some of those concerns. Well, you've, uh, you've laid out a, a full slate there. <laughs> so let's, let's, begin, let's begin with the concerns about lithium-ion. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, 
it's it's pricing is is the number one concern. The, the electric vehicle still costs more than the vehicle that it's replacing fitted with the internal combustion engine. And you got to ask yourself, what, why is that? Because as you know, the electric vehicle it doesn't have a radiator, doesn't have oil pump, it doesn't have so much of what is in a uh, vehicle fitted with an internal combustion engine. So why does it cost so much? It takes less labor. The reason it costs so much is when you buy an electric vehicle, you're buying a battery mm -hmm. with some exactly. coach work. Coach work is it's negligible in comparison to the cost of the battery. The batteries come down dramatically. In 2005, remember, it was $2,000 per kilowatt hour. Was oh, I know. It was extraordinary. Money. It was crazy. And yeah. now we're, you know, hovering around $100 a kilowatt hour. Yeah. But it's still too much. Why is it? Well, you know, can, can we do things more efficiently? Well, at some point, you're going to hit a, a plateau. So, and then, of course, there are the safety issues because it's got a volatile, flammable electrolyte. And um, so that's a concern. It has a very uh, uh, elaborate cooling system, uh, thermal management, etc. cetera. Um, if you had a battery that was resilient against uh, thermal runaway, can't catch fire, that strips away some more equipment that would drop yes. cost again. But then, of course, there's supply chain issues. I mean, you've got, uh, in the cathode, you've got nickel, manganese, cobalt, and this is not uh, just around the corner. The location of those supply chain originations. Yes, yes, absolutely. Steering. So over time, um, there was hesitancy here in the, in the legacy battery companies and even in the automobile companies to invest in the production of lithium-ion, and so it all ended up in China, and today China dominates. And yeah, uh, even exactly. if you find the lithium brines in the Atacama Desert of Chile, the, you can't get those brines up here and make a battery. The stuff goes, they ship the brine to China where it's processed and then it goes to South Korea and then eventually comes here and so on. They, you know, the, the piece of lithium in your phone has so many frequent flyer miles. I mean, it's, it's sitting up in this <laughs> class all the time. There's room for improvement there. Uh, the, you know, people can say, well, let's keep working, 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 but, you know, at some point you might say, well, what if we were to change the chemistry? Uh, let's, let's be reminded that the lithium-ion battery did not come from the legacy battery industry. In 1990, the uh, rechargeable of, of choice was the nickel-metal hydride battery. That's right. And none of the yeah. nickel-metal hydride producers uh, were the purveyors of, of lithium-ion. Lithium-ion came via Sony because Sony was an end user of batteries and it was because the end user forced the battery suppliers to change their chemistry. They didn't, they didn't come forward looking for a market. It was the market pull. It wasn't the technology push. You know, I, I can see this and I say, well, that, that this is a big opportunity. So what batteries are we going to see in our vehicles then in the next five to ten years? Oh, you know, Niels Bohr said uh, prediction is always risky, especially when it's about the future. So I, I, I mean, I, obviously I'm working on aluminum because aluminum yes. is the most abundant metal in the Earth's crust. Uh -huh. Most people would be surprised to learn aluminum is even more abundant than iron. Why does aluminum okay. cost more than steel? Well, because it costs more to separate aluminum from its ore than to separate iron from its ore. Um, Makes sense. But even so, there's, there's, there's 
plenty of aluminum, and, and plus now, for the first time, with Ellesis, which is in the province of Quebec, we have the opportunity to make uh, aluminum without CO2 emissions. So imagine if you have clean hydroelectric power and you have a zero emission aluminum reduction cell, now you've got green metal, and that green That's metal fantastic. could be the material yeah. that is the substance for the for the anode of a, of a battery. Um, so there's that, and of course the electrolyte, we don't want a volatile flammable electrolyte. And I've got some thoughts on what kind of uh, other liquids could go in there. I know there's a lot of excitement about solid state batteries. I'm, what are your thoughts on solid state? I don't understand what the, what the excitement is because the, the, the remedy for a volatile flammable liquid electrolyte is a liquid that is not volatile and flammable. Why do you all of a sudden jump all the way to solid? Because you have solid, solid interfaces between the, the anode and the solid electrolyte and then the solid electrolyte and the cathode. And those are like gigantic potholes. And the, the current is going to hit major impedances. And uh, I think that's why you've heard, you know, as they say in Hollywood, I hear things, but I don't see things. And I hear a lot about solid-state batteries, but I don't see anything in solid-state batteries. It's because it's tough. Yeah. You know? So the, the, the problem, Chris, the problem is people are trying to solve the wrong problem. I always Ooh, say ask the right point. question. What is the question then, Professor? Well, in this case, the, 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 the question that they have is how do we get rid of the volatile flammable electrolyte? Okay. And the answer is not get get rid of all liquid and go to solid. No. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there are not every liquid. I mean, I I've got I've got a cup of water on my desk right now. It's not volatile and it's not flammable. It's not. It's not. So why would I go to a solid? I don't know. It's maybe people are looking for some new shiny object to chase. We have to we have to get rid of the nickel manganese cobalt in the cathode. Um, so, we have to look for other materials that can serve as uh, uh, shuttles for the, for the material that's going to be on the, uh, on the anode side. And I think it's going to be metal battery. I mean, okay. maybe lithium metal can, can, be, can be a bridge, because lithium metal it, it, the, the, has about uh, almost 10 times the energy density, energy per unit mass of of graphite. Graphite is just this big, it's a, it's a sponge. If you can imagine you have a sponge with water in it and you squeeze it and you use the sponge to clean your dishes and wipe your counter. Can you imagine if for the amount of water that was in that sponge, the sponge weighed like 10 pounds or something? Right. But, th but that's what we have. We have this, yeah. this big block of, of graphite that it's, it's just dead weight. It's just a spectator. But you, the reason we have it is that it gets around the problems that would accrue from having naked lithium metal. Mm -hmm. When you go to charge that battery, you're going to run the risk of growing dendrites which could, which could short the cell and cause fire and so on. So it, it served its purpose, but boy, if we could get rid of that. Lighter weight, higher energy density, and lower cost. And so your crystal ball, when are we going to start seeing, you know, you said we're at about $100, right, per kilowatt hour. So when are we going to get down to 50? 
as I said, it's it's dangerous to to predict the future without without shamelessly promoting a a company that I'm involved in. I mean, Pure Lithium is on that pathway. Uh, I would hope that product will come to to market uh, yeah. within the decade. So, so, Kristen, if we want to see this thing, instead of having a 10-year timeline and what compress it to five years, mm-hmm. it means that put the resources, you know. Right, accelerate you know, the development. In the first round of ARPA-E, when uh, I applied for, for the grant that eventually led to the invention of the liquid metal battery, uh, it was a golden moment in time when Stephen Chu, who was the Secretary of Energy at that moment, he asked the American scientific community to step up and help uh, referee the proposals. And he said, do not, do not consider likelihood of success. Oh. Only consider impact if successful. So that they were basically saying, reach, reach. But now the, the current thinking is, we want to report to Congress 100% success, so that means incremental improvement. Because if, 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 if you reach, you might yeah. fail. But the few that succeed will pay for all the failures many times over. They don't want to get tarred with, is this another Solyndra? Is this another A123? And things like this. You're right. We're not going to have huge, prop, you know, huge improvements if we don't take some risk. We have to. We have to. Incrementality is not going to get us there. Uh, you know, when I, when I do research, I hire the anti-expert. I don't hire the expert. I never consulted Ooh, with battery the expert. anti-expert. That's yeah, so I brought in people. Yeah. They're, they're, they're young people. And okay, they, they, they were admitted to MIT, so clearly they have some uh, intellectual prowess. But they weren't schooled in electrochemistry. They didn't know anything about liquid metals, molten salts, any of that. But they came, and, and I taught them how to think about the problem, and then I turned them loose. And so, you know, the, these, these are young people. They have unbiased. Unbiased, yeah. You see, one of the problems, Kristen, is why why we don't see innovation in batteries is that people who work in batteries have learned everything they know about batteries through the lens of lithium ion. So they think everything is copy paste, lithium ion, change this, change this, change this. I say, no, 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 we, we don't talk about lithium ion. I wouldn't hire somebody who's worked in lithium ion because <laughs> it's so, you know, it's so ingrained. And so I think that, uh, the, we need to find a way to um, to cultivate that. It's it's almost childlike. That the, the the last questions that nobody else will ask because we already know the answers. We edit out, we edit out the the really good question. That's true, and I love the fact that what inspires you is inspiring others. I think that's fantastic. And one thing I can say of my five years of education at MIT, the more that I started to learn, the more I realized how little I knew. So, I mean, I, I'm still learning. <laughs> right? We're never done. Uh, Frank Zappa said uh, the mind is like a parachute. It only works when it's open. We so appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule today to share more about your unique approach to this battery development opportunity and all the work that you're doing in this space. Getting to that mindset of local dirt battery development that will truly make a positive change in the world. Thank you so much.